the technical term for what you see on an octopus is not tentacles, it's arms. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Greetings. Hi. Hello. Welcome to an episode that is a cephalo podcast of the Rossafari podcast. That's right, y'all. We are back in California for this episode. And um, after our couple delays for Adventure Aquarium, we are going back to our buddy Cassandra Davis at the Aquarium of the Pacific. And unlike last time with Cassandra, where you got to hear about sea turtles in a river in Los Angeles, today we're actually at the aquarium. Honestly, y'all, this is one of those episodes that just almost didn't happen for a bunch of reasons, so I'm really excited to share it with you. Um, But I kind of want to tell you all the story. So, When I reached out to Aquarium of the Pacific, we came up with the idea of doing the sea turtles in the river episode. And by we, I mean they, because as you may remember, I did not know that was a thing and then got really, really excited when I found out that it was. Um, And so we did that. And towards the end of that long, wonderful interview with Cassandra, I mentioned that I was planning on visiting the aquarium soon. And uh, the team told me, you know, they'd be happy to comp me in and everything. And then Cassandra said, well, w- would you like to go through the aquarium with me? I bet I could move some things around and, and you could talk to me about it and, and maybe maybe do an interview. And so all of a sudden, out of the blue and with the blessing of the PR team, once, once Cassandra offered, um, I found myself showing up to an aquarium to record an interview that I did not expect. And uh, it was it was awesome. It was really, really cool and really, really sweet of the team to make it happen. I'm I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful. And so that's what we did. We we literally went through the aquarium while it was open with my little recorder running. And um, we interviewed about some of the different exhibits and animals and all that kinds of stuff. It was it was really cool. Uh, Unfortunately, the aquarium, as I mentioned, was open and um other humans were allowed to be there which is is something that i am never particularly happy about when i'm at a facility even if i'm not recording uh but it led to a ton of background noise and a ton of really distracty sounds so um when i started off listening to the audio for this episode i didn't really know what to do it was it was bad it was the worst of any podcast episode that i've recorded um and then i i just kind of decided to shelve it and and do the adventure aquarium stuff that was scheduled anyway and then hopefully a miracle would happen and a miracle in fact happened i mentioned before that there was this cool new audio uh thing that i bought for the podcast because it was on sale and um it's perfect for cleaning up audio. And so what you're going to get here is is a pretty great sounding interview that was literally happening just walking around with people right there talking and kids screaming and and all the things. And you'll hear a little bit of it in the background. And um, I, I purposely 
spent a little longer cleaning up Cassandra's side of things than mine because what she says is important and what I say is mostly, ooh, that's cool. So um, y'all know how this works by now. <laughs> My guests are way more impressive than me on these pods. But uh, so here it is. Um, it makes sense timing-wise. We're, we're getting to do the thing and an episode that almost didn't happen twice. First, because it wasn't going to be recorded and then because it wasn't really presentable is now here, and I'm super excited to share it with you. But first, a couple of housekeeping things. Don't forget to make sure that you hit subscribe so that you get every episode of the Rossafari podcast, uh, you know, when you when they come out. It's exciting. It helps me. Helps you. Helps everyone. Well, not everyone, but everyone involved with the podcast. Um, and it also helps people to find it, which is cool. Don't forget that you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify now, even on Audible, which is kind of cool if that's your thing. Um, so anywhere you're listening to this podcast, you can go ahead and, and do that if they allow you to on the app. And it, again, helps people find it and makes me happy and all the good things. So thank you for everyone who has done that. Um, also, make sure you're following along, uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Raw Safari. And, you know, I have been saying for a while, make sure you follow at Raw Safari Pod on TikTok because I really don't use it, but I may go back to it at some point. And so the other day, I decided to randomly go in and shove a video into the old TikTok machine. And uh, it, it took off a little bit. It's, it's had over 40,000 views in under 24 hours, and um, my following has more than tripled. And so I feel like I might start doing more on TikTok because um, it seems like people there are interested, and I'm getting to share the conservation message that I love to share with a different group of people over there that I'm seeing on Insta. So if you're on the, the talk of ticks, uh, it's at Rossafari Pod. Like I said, everywhere else on social medias is at Rossafari. And, um, yeah, you can follow along there, and that would be cool. Or don't, and that would be cool, too. I really just want you to listen to the podcast more than anything. So, uh, you know, you do you. Anyway, here's an ad. Today's episode is brought to you by Daydreamers Studios. Do you have stories and expertise to share with the world? Have you ever thought about starting your own podcasts? There's no better time to start than now with the help of a trusted production partner. Daydreamer Studios is a full-service production company that takes all the stress off your plate. You can focus on creating engaging content while they focus on recording, editing, audio engineering, hosting, and publishing on 22 platforms. Log into the advanced remote system with one click and the Daydreamer team will be on the other end ready for you to record everything you have to say. Owned and operated by Daydreamer Network, Daydreamer Studios continues on the company's mission to empower storytellers of all kinds by making podcasting accessible to all. For more information and current promotions, visit daydreamernetwork.com studios. All right. So uh, before we get to the episode, I kind of want to explain to you how this one works. I mentioned that we did kind of a walkthrough of the aquarium, and that's exactly what it's going to be. Um, we skip the intro. We we skip the uh, poop story. Poop story. Because this wasn't really a scheduled uh, interview, as, as I mentioned. Um, and we just kind of uh, dive in to make a, an aquarium joke. Uh, you're literally going to hear us just starting off at exhibits and talking through them and learning about the animals and the exhibits and all that cool stuff. I think it's really interesting and really fun. Uh, we bounce around a bunch and it's, it's just kind of randomness. We even get a little bit of audio from uh, before uh, when I was at the river that I pulled from that episode to put 
into this episode. Uh, it's kind of a hodgepodge, and I absolutely love it. Finally, as a quick note, um, for those of you who have been concerned about my health because of what I talked about on uh, on the Zoo News episode, I'm healing. That's all I'll say for now, but thank you for your concern. All right, let's get to it. Here is my interview with Cassandra Davis at the Aquarium of the Pacific. Enjoy, y'all. All right, so um, this looks awesome. Where are we now? Well, we're over at the Molina Animal Care Center, which is one of my favorite places to highlight because it is a working animal hospital and our veterinary offices and it's open and available to everyone who visits here. There are often not too many things happening live in person, but if there ever are, we put them up on this uh, whiteboard here so that you can see what's coming up or what's happening for the day. And as we look through, you can see the equipment that we use. You can see slideshows and videos of past cases and this is also where we bring sea turtles if they are entangled in fishing line or uh, injured in some way and need some medical attention, medical care. It's our first stop for rehabilitation. And if it is a animal that belongs back out in its natural habitat, then we will rehabilitate it behind the scenes, take it out for occasional checkups and work with authorities like the National Marine Fisheries Service on the best times to release it and make sure it's going to have a, a healthy and happy recovery. Very cool. Now, I see that there's a surgical suite here that is like open to the public. So y'all really do that? Yes, we will show our surgeries. And some of my favorite times here at the aquarium have been checking in on and watching surgeries either in the surgical suite or in other areas. Since we've got a big uh, plexiglass between us and the surgery, it can still be safe for the animals. We can maintain a room temperature that's healthy for that animal, whether it's much warmer or much colder, and of course, maintain a clean and clear hospital room as well. Uh, but some of the surgeries I've gotten to watch include a eye surgery where we were remo removing cataracts from, uh, yes, some of the sea animals get cataracts. In fact, seals and sea lions are prone to them right, right. as marine mammals. Just like we have uh, difficulty with water and glare, uh, they do too. And so one of our seals out on exhibit right now, she ha had to have two cataracts removed. She went from being nearly blind to being able to respond to visual commands. Nice. So okay. an incredible opportunity to see uh, a lot of specialists in action. It was really amazing. And if you look on our website, I think there are still some pictures and, and maybe even some video on that surgery in particular. Um, and of course, anything involving the sea turtles, I'm here to talk to guests and, and talk about what's happening, but also to watch and, and get a chance to get to know some of these turtles. Uh, we've had turtles who have come in with fishing line or entanglements or boat strikes, and we've been able to do some incredible things. I think my favorite moment was they were going in for a laparoscopy. So uh, basically putting a camera down the sea turtle's throat to find out a little bit more about a hook that we had seen on an x-ray. And Dr. Adams, as well as our, our veterinary assistants, they went ahead and said, wait, I think we can get it. And they went in as they were doing that laparoscopy to explore. 
They went in and they were able to cleanly remove the hook from the turtle's throat. That's amazing. It was just incredible to see something that went from diagnostic to surgery in action in a heartbeat because they, they saw an opportunity, they took it, and they were very successful because of all of their experience. Uh, collectively, our uh, vets and vet assistants have a tremendous amount of experience and were able to take on teaching opportunities, learning opportunities, uh, with things like externships and uh, veterinary career expo- exploration. So it's really incredible what they're able to do in this center. That is really amazing. I do have to ask, though, um, you know, vets are incredible and, and experts, but like stuff happens, you know, animals die. We all know this. It's it's a part of it. Um, what, what would you all do if there's like an emergency and like stuff starts to go south? Did you just let everyone watch or is there a way to close off the operating uh, view or how does that work? Well, we do believe in being transparent and honest. So if anything ever does happen, whether it is while we're working on a animal that is a rescue or uh, if there is something with our animals, we are regularly actually posting about it and sharing about it, not just here on site. But uh, if you look at our social media, you can find information on some of the cases we've taken. And it can be very impactful. I do remember one sea turtle that we, we were rooting for her. She came in. She was uh, wrapped in fishing line. One of her uh, fins was almost separated from her body. And she was very, very lethargic. We came to learn as we were doing some intake exams that she had also swallowed quite a bit of fishing line and it had passed through her system. Our vet staff and our husbandry staff worked on her nonstop for 72 hours. Wow. Uh, they were just caring for her, monitoring her. Someone was, was keeping track of her and they did everything that they could. And we made the very hard decision uh, at the end when it was it was just too much for her. She she did not make it through. Um, I think it was either the second or third night. Um, and we made the hard decision of sharing that with our audience because that has tremendous reach and it can be an impactful learning experience, even though it's something that's very very hard to talk about. We think that being honest about these situations is going to have just a greater impact on the, on the whole. I agree a thousand percent. I talk about that a lot on here that I think that transparency is important. Um, and you know, I, I, I follow obviously a ton of zoos and aquariums and I have seen the, the difference between when an animal gets talked about, even if it's something like a day old giraffe that then is gone, if they're open and transparent about it, people learn from that and people connect. And I know, you know, I've seen beautiful things happen with that. And, and sometimes I think when, when it's quiet, that's when people start to say, wait a minute, you said there was a draft born two days ago and now we're not hearing anything or seeing pictures. What's, what are you doing? And that's where you start to, I think, have those questions. So I'm a huge fan of transparency. I think that's, that's awesome. Very cool. Uh, I think it's, it's super important that we're able to learn from the animals because it, it can affect how we care for them, uh, how we interact with nature and natural habitats. It can affect how uh, perhaps care or uh, conservation approaches in their natural habitats are taken. And it teaches us every single time. Every time you're around an animal, you learn. 
And there is something to learn, whether you are watching them from the river as we were yesterday <laughs> or uh, taking a look at them in, in these habitats that we're able to uh, use for discovery. So not only do we have opportunities for discovery in places like the Molina Animal Care Center, but even in our exhibits, we have been able to conduct experiments that affect how we are doing restoration or uh, working with species in their natural habitats. Um, one of my favorites to talk about is working with the abalone. So if we head over to the Southern California Gallery in our amber forest area, which is a kelp forest exhibit, we did some experiments with how to best release juvenile abalone that we had bred and raised in conjunction with a number of institutions up and down the California coast and that are needing to be outplanted. And abalone is a really interesting animal because they can live for decades. In fact, if, if you think about the classic abalone shell, it's that shiny, shiny oval shell with holes in it, shiny on one side and not shiny on the other side. The, <laughs> the shining part is the inside of the shell where the animal lives. And the abalones themselves are snails. They're a type of marine snail. So they move very slowly. Once they get established, once they find their crack under a rock, they stick to it and you can't pry them off, at least not very easily. So they need that. They need to find that shelter, but they are quite slow to getting to that shelter and they're quite attractive. They uh, were overfished by humans because they are delicious and they have the tendency of attracting many predators to the area when they are going to be outplanted. So we can't just say, okay, you go under this rock. They have to find that rock themselves, etc. And we were able to test out some abalone, basically crates that allow for them to be in their natural habitat, establish themselves in a natural habitat, and be protected from predators that are looking for those juvenile abalone that we just put into the area. So it's really neat that we are able to use our exhibits to affect restoration and recovery in the natural habitat. Yeah, that's absolutely incredible. Wow. That's very cool. Very, very cool. Um, oh, all right. So um, I know that we are coming up on uh, sea otters here and uh, y'all, y'all have a special little story happening right now. And I do mean little. So tell me about this. We do. We have a brand new baby sea otter who is so exciting. He is absolutely adorable, as all baby sea otters are. (laughs) Somehow they just hit all the buttons for us. And uh, he is under the care of some of our older, more established sea otters uh, who are also rescues. So all of these are rescued sea otters. They are here at the aquarium as ambassadors for their species. And the ultimate goal of the rescue and rehabilitation of any animal is release. But if we can't release them to their natural habitat for any reason, maybe they have trouble foraging on their own, or I know we had one sea otter that habitually swam up to boats after release, and that can be a dangerous situation. And so we have some that are non-releasable. So he is a baby. He is being cared for, and he is part of the training process for some of our sea otters who are becoming surrogate mothers and helping. They will be helping to raise 
future baby sea otters. And hopefully some of them, honestly, will never be seen by the public. That is our ultimate goal, that we will have baby sea otters on site that are being cared for in a way where they don't ever interact with humans or actually know that they're interacting with humans in order for them to be re-released along our coastline right. and help to restore the species. So how do you do that? Do you do that with like puppets like they do with the condors? Because I, I bet there are some cute sea otter puppets out there. I'm just saying. There are some amazingly <laughs> cute sea otter puppets. And in fact, we have one. It is not used for raising. It is used for education. So okay. I encourage you to check out the Pacific Pals. And Millie, the sea otter, is absolutely adorable <laughs> and amazingly knowledgeable. Sea otters are very intelligent. She will teach you all about the kelp forest. Amazing. Every time I hear from her, I learn something new. So definitely check out Millie. Um, but she is not used in raising the sea otters, gotcha, as I okay. mentioned. We use surrogate parents. That is the best way for them to learn. And fortunately, we are able to train some of our sea otters and teach them how to be good parents and teach sea otters to survive on their own independently. And if there are keepers that need to be going to and from outside of video surveillance, which we do a lot of, we use a lot of technology for that. Um, any Anyone who is part of our husbandry team who needs to be in those areas will be completely disguised. We wear these like very crazy getups that completely hide the shape and especially the face of the humans so that they are not associating things like care, food, or even just growing up with being around humans. And that's an important part of raising them to be re-released. Very cool. I'm glad to hear that. And also slightly sad that you don't just put on a sea otter costume because that would be kind of amazing. Just saying. I agree. I think that, that I will definitely propose that. But I, I don't know. I, a six foot tall sea otter might also be a little bit scary. For <laughs> That's That's <laughs> or at least give them unrealistic expectations for when they grow up. Cool. Oh, all right. Um, I'm seeing a sea turtle. And <laughs> it's not in the river, so slightly different experience. But uh, who, who's this? Where? What's going on? Now we get to see the whole sea turtle. Ooh. And uh, this is one of our two Olive Ridley sea turtles. This is at the entrance to our Tropical Pacific Gallery. So the water here is a bit warmer uh, than what we just passed with the sea otters. And this is a wonderful, beautiful view of our sea turtle on the sunny side of the reef. So this is a whole exhibit that the animals have free roam of. And sometimes we will see them over on this end where they have the sunny side. Sometimes they'll be at the blue corner area, which is huge and magical and deep. We'll see that towards the end. This Olive Ridley sea turtle, despite looking like a fairly large turtle, it's actually one of the smallest and lightest species of sea turtle in the ocean. And they were a very mysterious species up until the 1950s and 60s. There was not too much known about them. But they do something pretty amazing when it comes to nesting time. And they come up on the beach in huge arribadas, huge nesting uh, groups that they just pile on top of each other. And in, in the historic nesting uh reports it was said that you could walk across the entire beach and never touch sand because there were so many sea turtles oh wow so that is a reproductive strategy that this specific species has developed where 
I guess the general idea is you get so many turtles and so many eggs on the beach that somebody is bound to survive, which is kind of the general survival strategy for sea turtles. Right. You've got these big nests and uh, less than 1% of the hatchlings actually do survive to adulthood. So it's a, it's a long game of survival for these sea turtles, but uh, this one is, is a pretty amazing one to, to get a chance to look at and, and see swimming about. And as you can see, the kids love them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, this is, this is very cool. Using his head as a, or using coral as a pillow for that head. That's just, that is a lazy turtle right there. You know, they are very efficient. <laughs> efficient. We, that is we, such a we call them efficient. Yes, so if they hang around and watch Netflix all day, they are efficient because they're using the minimal amount of energy necessary for survival. Now, sometimes when we have uh, animals in areas like this, we do need to encourage them to move about for their own fitness, for their own physical and mental health. Just like all of us discovered with the pandemic, you need to get out there and exercise. You need to uh, have that have that time where you are challenged. And so we do have different activities that we will take on with our animals. And for many of them, that involves something called target training. Okay. So our sea turtles are target trained. We have to have a very strong target because sometimes they will bite at their target to explore. <laughs> so we tend to use, uh, you know, a Kong toy or something equivalent for them that they can see. But they will swim up to get their food. And that helps us to move the animals about, whether it is a sea turtle or a shark or a sea lion. We can help them to participate in their own care and feel comfortable when we are giving an exam, for instance, or uh, stretcher training them so that they can be lifted up without any stress on their part. They know that this is a normal part of their routine. Awesome. And I like the idea of them exploring a target because that's what I do whenever I get to somewhere. I go to target, I explore, I always drop at least a hundred bucks. I don't know. So, but yeah, so at least we have something in common. I know I'm a dork. Um, but, and then you said, so there, there are the, the two olive ridleys here. And then you said there's a green as well, right? Yes. Let's hear, let's, let's go see the green. Yes. So we're going to head on over to the tunnel area. And I love this tunnel because if you stand kind of further towards the edges, it's it's about like you're you're underneath the animals in the coral habitat. So you're actually in the space, which is really fun. And if we head over here, Copper, our green sea turtle, he is newer to the aquarium. He joined us uh, in 2019 for the summer of corals scheduled for 2020 but ended up uh really being in 2021 uh, for various reasons uh mostly involving COVID. but the the neat thing about having a green sea turtle here is we get to talk about the local population we get to talk about what we find in our habitats and how we see sea turtles off the coast of california which is unexpected because most people expect to see sea turtles in a setting like this where you have coral reefs where you have warm tropical water and that is absolutely where we find a lot of them there are turtles i'm sure you've already explored Turtles that depend on coral reefs and are part of the coral reef ecosystem for food and shelter and everything else. The green turtles play part of that role, but they are also around the seagrass beds in the tropical habitats. And they are going through and making sure that seagrass is healthy and, and eating the seagrass whenever possible. Right, right. <laughs> Very cool. And... um. 
you, you had mentioned something about uh, this little goober uh, being, let's say, efficient again in, in how he breathes. So tell, tell me about that. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, copper will rest towards the top or surface of the water and be able to just stick his head out to breathe. What's fun about that is that in the river, we see a similar thing happening sometimes with the green sea turtles, where they will find a rock or somewhere, especially during low tide, where they can just rest and <laughs> lift their head out of the water to breathe and then come back down when they're resting. So we see that in their natural habitat, that they will find a way to be efficient and to use as, as little energy as possible. Because if you are not using energy, then you don't have to go and find more food and expend more energy. I love that. And I'm totally using this the next time I'm being lazy. I'm just going to say I'm, I'm being efficient, <laughs> you know, conserving my energy. This is good. This is good. Um, okay, wait, I'm confused. That is an octopus. And I know GPOs really well, but what this is a different, this is not the same. Talk to me. What is this? This, this is our tentacles in the ink exhibit. Here we have a common octopus. And our common octopus is found usually in more tropical waters. They are often found in small, shallower habitats. They like crevices, nooks, crannies, and caves. And what I like about them is they are similar in size to ones that we have locally here in Southern California, uh, which are called the two-spot octopus. So I relate to them very well because I've seen those two-spot octopus going out and, and exploring while I am snorkeling or diving here off the coast. I've never successfully seen a common octopus in its natural habitat, although I have tried a number of times. Maybe they're not that common then. <laughs> Now, this is really, oh, and it's changing color yes. and swimming. This is cool. Oh. This is really exciting. Yes, you get to see the chromatophores. <laughs> so the octopus is just an incredible species. They are incredibly intelligent, and they have this really interesting ability to be able to change the texture and color of their skin. And they might change it to express something. Or they might change it to camouflage and blend in with their habitat. It depends upon what's happening in their current moment, in their current space. So we just saw like some circles appear and disappear and appear and disappear on our common octopus. And that's just incredible to see those patterns arise as they go through. It's not necessarily a conscious effort. It's uh, You could think of it a little bit as people blush. We Our skin sure, changes sure. color. We may or may not be aware of it, but it is a fascinating thing that we see in all of the cephalopods. And one of my favorite demonstrations of it actually comes from uh, cuttlefish. Okay. And I have seen cuttlefish that are, they almost look like they were split down the middle. On one side, they are showing off to a cuttlefish. And on the other side, they are completely blank or white to show like, I mean, no danger. I mean, no harm. Right. So on one side, he's like, oh, yeah, I, I am I am something to be afraid of or something to be interested in. And on the other side, they're like, no, no, don't bother me. That's amazing. Um, Y'all have cuttlefish here, right? We do. Okay. We've got some flamboyant cuttlefish. And uh, they are in with our pajama squid, which are kind of another cuttlefish uh, type, even though it says squid in their name. Fair, fair. And what's fun about the cuttlefish is not only do they put on these amazing displays of those chromatophores moving about and shifting about, 
but they also have these two feeding tentacles. So the technical term for what you see on an octopus is not tentacles, it's arms. And when you see a cuttlefish, you see their arms, and then they've got these feeding tentacles that come out and grab their food. And it just did it. It did the thing. It did. It did the thing. I've never seen a cuttlefish eat before. That's (laughs) That's incredible. That's so cool to see. Yeah, so they just like shoot (laughs) out and grab. They're like, pay no mind to me, pay no... Yes, exactly. Yeah. Oh, this is so cool. Very cool. Um, are there any conservation organizations you'd like to give a shout out to? Um, a huge shout out to the aquarium in general, zoos and aquariums uh, all over. There, There's programs that are quietly making a huge difference in the world. And uh, recently, or I guess relatively recently, uh, zoos and aquariums have been teaming together in what are called SAFE programs, yes. Saving Animals from Extinction. I work with the Sea Turtle Safe Program, and then we recently formed the Monarch Safe Program, which seems really strange because butterflies are are generally not actually kept in institutions. But we have a monarch butterfly population that comes by the aquarium, and uh, they they migrate through where migrations stop for them. And these programs are doing amazing work and working with amazing organizations in order to help uh, save, protect, preserve, and work with uh, on-the-ground um, conservation in, in all different regards. So uh, I think that zoos and aquariums are doing amazing things, and they're doing amazing things because people support them and come visit them and, and work with them. And we're able to work with organizations like the Los Rudos Wetlands Authority, Tidal Influence, uh, to go out there and, and have the boots on the ground, but also to bring in the boots to be on the ground. Um, so we can, we have, uh, something coming up in April called Party for the Planet. It's happening at zoos and aquariums, uh, across the country. So wherever you might be listening, keep an eye out for that. It starts on Earth Day, April 22nd. And uh, May and June, we also have days we have Endangered Species Day, and then we culminate with World Ocean Day. And we try to do some big things for the planet. It's a perfect time to go out and plant native plants or uh, help restore an area like the wetlands. And it's just a great time to connect with other people who might also enjoy animals or zoos and aquariums and and. Just get out there with your family, uh, because all of, all of the activities we try to have, uh, family act, uh, oriented activities and things that people of all ages can participate in. Well, thank you for taking the time to do this. Of course. So thank fun. you for having us. All right. So now we're going to go back in time a little bit to the day that I was actually at the river and uh, seeing the sea turtles from the last episode with Cassandra. And uh, while I was there, I made sure to ask her about the sea turtles at the aquarium, because as I mentioned, I didn't actually know that I would be interviewing her at the aquarium and I wanted to get all of the sea turtley goodness for y'all. And um, it just so happened that... um, you know, Cassandra shared a lot of stuff about the turtles that was interesting and different than what we talked about when we were at the aquarium. And there, there's a little repeated information, but honestly, it's it's mostly different. So um, I wanted to share that with y'all now, and I figured that doing it in this episode made more sense, especially as the uh, the at the river episode went 
so long, um, even though it was wonderful. And so here is some just additional cool conversation about the sea turtles at the aquarium that we recorded at the river while staring at sea turtles surfacing. Enjoy. Um, you know, and while we are somewhat still talking about sea turtles, we've, mm-hmm. we've gone off in lots of really cool directions, <laughs> and I love that. That's, that's what I, I love the most about doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and the, the aquarium. I'm, I haven't been yet. Oh, I've been there. I've been to the aquarium the last time I was in L.A., but I'm coming tomorrow. Good. Um, tell me what the sea turtle sitch is at the aquarium. Awesome. We have three resident sea turtles at the aquarium, and then uh, we have visitors from time to time throughout the year. So uh, what I mean by residents is we have three that live there full time. And uh, two of them have been uh, with the aquarium since it opened. They wow. are charter animals. Um, so Theo and Lou are our two Olive Ridley sea turtles. One lives in the big tropical exhibit upstairs in the Tropical Pacific Gallery. And the other one lives outside with the sharks who he pushes around. I uh, <laughs> uh, always tells them who's boss. Um, so he lives with the sharks out in Shark Lagoon. And they switch from time to time. Fascinating, by the way, that they're all of Ridley's. Like, that is not a common captive species. Not a common species. Uh, they are rescues. Yeah. And, uh, and they, they came to us. Um, they were thought to actually be female when they arrived uh, because of the temperature of the eggs. So we talked about eggs and uh, sea turtle nests and, and temperature being an important factor. Um, the warmer the temperature the more likely the sea turtle is going to be female to a certain extent. And then, you know, just like any other animal, they can't survive past a certain temperature. So, um, so right now you, you may have seen some stories about sea turtles uh, primarily hatching out as female. And so that's kind of that, that first phase. It, it depends on how warm their nests are. There are people out there building shade structures to try to protect nests and, and try to, um, change the temperature of the sand as much as possible to protect these sea turtles and, and allow them to hatch. Um, so that's, that's Theo and Lou. They, they came to us. Uh, like I said, they were thought to be female, turned out to be male. And uh, that's the fun part about sea turtles. You can't really tell. <laughs> kind of like birds. There's one surfacing right oh, there in yep. the middle, just that's hanging out watching us. Um, you can't really tell if they're female or male until they're a bit bigger and older. Um, if you ever do want to tell, here's here's the easy way. Look at the tail. If it's a big, thick, long tail and you're like, that looks like a really weird tail, probably a male. Because most uh, pictures you've seen of sea turtles or like typical drawings of sea turtles with a cute little tail, those are female sea turtles. So uh, Theo and Lou are, are a lot of fun. And then uh, more recently, uh, just, just before COVID actually, uh, we got copper. Copper is a green sea turtle. And if you're exploring the aquarium, you're going to look for him on the left-hand side of our uh, tropical gallery. As you're, as you're walking through, we've got a tunnel. And on the left-hand side of the tunnel, that's where he likes to hang out. Um, so he's pretty neat to see as well. And as we're seeing with these turtles here that are surfacing, and uh, if you visit, as you'll see with copper, you will notice that he's not very green. And that's the funny thing about green sea turtles is uh, they are named green sea turtles not for the color of their scales or their shell, although some of them can be a greenish tint. Uh, they're named green sea turtles for the color of their blubber because uh, the grown-ups feed on seagrass almost exclusively. They'll eat an occasional jelly. 
but they are almost exclusively feeding on seagrass. They're important to the seagrass. It's kind of like tending to a garden as, as they go through. Uh, it, it helps to stir up nutrients for the seagrass. It helps to keep it trimmed. Uh, so they're, they're helping this amazing plant that's helping us fight climate change. And they eat so much of it that it turns their fat green. And that's where they get their name from. All right. And there you have it, folks. The episode that almost wasn't, but totally was. And I loved it. Cassandra is just, just awesome. I I could talk to her about anything and nothing all day and learn and be impressed. And uh, yeah, it's just it's very cool. So thank you to Cassandra and everyone at the aquarium for being so incredibly accommodating. Um, I really appreciate y'all. I want to say thanks also to Lara Shank, my uh, red panda level patron, and also to Anya Keen, my new patron. Remember, you too can support the podcast by going to patreon.com slash rasafari and signing up for as little as $3 a month. And don't forget to come back on Friday for another new episode of Rasafari Zoo News. I probably won't be talking about my man parts this time, at least not too much. And remember, friends, the word credits backwards is Stiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Vesley Gross. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.